0: You're listening to Hayes Radio Network. Cannabis lifestyle radio.
1: Hello. Greetings, friends. Welcome to yet another episode of Here to Consumption. I am your host, Lance Lambert, and I have next to me the wonderful Miss Mia J. Hello
2: again. Happy to be back. Yes, here on Cure to Consumption, a lovely day in LA.
1: Oh, always, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> if every day could be a Sunday, that is the ideal day, mm. you know? Not mm-hmm. as crazy, not as much traffic. True. Always good weather. Well, welcome, you guys. Um, we always kind of start off the show with asking Mia what she's smoking on. She always has something fun in her uh, quiver, so to speak. So
2: I've got could it be another blunt? Uh, I like to smoke blunts on Sundays. This is a keefy blunt of some diamond dust from California cannabis, I believe. Oh wow! So, yeah,
1: right. my Delicious, gosh! Listen to you,
2: amazing. Gonna get a little baked today. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> Sunday I, bake day. I can still uh, handle my my conversation. So. Oh my
1: gosh. You can always hang. I got this. Your tolerance guess. is so much better than mine. So much higher. <laughs> um, so yes. And what I'm on, uh, Runts. I'm still touring through uh, Soul Spirit Farms last season. Um, mm. Thank you again to those guys. Gosh, I think I've got six different bottles uh, from last season, but I'm on their runts. Nice. Which, uh, yeah. It's kind of up there with Skittles for me. It's a little, again, the trendy triangle strains, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. not to be Mr. Old School, but Something be said about the true original Northern Lights or Durban Poison, you know, those mm. land race strains. Very true. Sit here and reflect.
2: Love a good Durban Poison.
1: <laughs> <I> know, right. <laughs> oh, I've got some for you. Total tangent. <laughs> we'll jump into that. But All right. long story short, got some seeds from South Africa that at most have been back but haven't been crossbred. Um, and uh, those exotics ended up at a certain friend's farm up in the Triangle, and he shared uh-huh. pictures. I was like, "Did you pop all those?" Because I have someone that wants to put them in their seed bank, <laughs> and uh, he sends me pictures of these trees, like fifteen feet Whoa. tall. Yeah, twelve foot ladder, and he was <laughs> another three feet up. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, dude! He grows fire." We'll get into that later. Nice.
0: So, speaking of
1: getting <laughs> into it, let's see. So, what is in the news? Uh, there is a panel. Uh, that essentially consults the government of the Bahamas, and uh, they're recommending cannabis. I saw that. Did you catch that one?
2: How brilliant is that? I know, novel concept,
1: right? (laughs) I mean, I hate for people to jump on the cannabis bandwagon for money, (coughs) politicians. But If it
2: works, it works, you know? It is.
1: You know what? It is. It's one of those, if it gets us through the door, and if it takes them going, okay, I admit it, it's not as bad, and reefer badness is over, and all the rest of it, then... You know, props to him. But I thought this was interesting. You uh-huh. know, this is something that came out um, not not too too long back. Uh, so we're keeping an eye on it. But yeah, I am interested to see what happens because it seems like the islands, similar to. Uh, you know, South America and even Central America is coming around like mm-hmm. it's at its own pace, kind of like Europe. <laughs> they're kind of at their own pace, whereas the U.S. Of course, we have this influx from from every two years for voting, but it seems like four here, six there, five here, you know. Whereas they're onesie twosie in the uh, in the international waters, as they say. So, but I, mean, I thought it's, that was
2: it's everywhere down there anyway. I'm sure so, it, it is. Know, it's my, it my, is. My, they see an opportunity to make a little money off of it and you know help everyone involved. And, yeah. You know, it would create a great, you know, tourism space and they were talking about having cafes and resorts and
1: Exactly. I'm
2: like, hey, maybe I'll move down to the Bahamas <laughs> if it comes along, guys, so you're You know, world's best cannabis tour guide over here.
1: There is a show in Jamaica we should get down to, Joe. We need to take this show on the road. Yeah. And and I have a friend. We uh, need to
2: go see that Durban poison tree you're talking about. And then wherever else you want to
1: go. We will go to the, especially if it's the Emerald Triangle, we will be doing shows from, from, uh, from the Emerald, uh, from the Emerald show for uh, covering the Emerald Triangle, that's for sure. Um, But yes, we will take the, we'll take the show on the road at some point. Nice. Post-pandemic. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Whole other story, right? (laughs) Uh, The other one, uh, medical marijuana clears uh, the Senate. This medical marijuana bill down in, of all places, I'm so stoked to say this. I've heard some horrible stories uh, of people being arrested in the state. But Mississippi.
2: Mississippi.
1: Ole oh Miss, yes. which is not mm-hmm. far from your neck of the woods where you I've, originally were I've brought up. I've driven right?
2: through Mississippi many times. It is a, a, oh my gosh. a very scary uh, state to be in if you are a cannabis consumer or has been.
3: So yeah. I'm really glad to yeah. see
2: this uh, moving forward a little bit. I know they voted to legalize it. Was it last year? No, they're just trying to figure out how yep. to move forward.
1: Yes, exactly. Keep going,
2: Mississippi. Don't get caught in that legal limbo of... Actually, implementing your um, medical cannabis markets, guys. It's it's so crazy to try to do, but hopefully, they can uh, figure it out. I think it was the the health department that's taking it over.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So, um, you know, looking at local news down there, mm-hmm. uh, they're saying <laughs> that it now heads to the house. So yeah. it was uh, again the Senate, which um, we're kind of seeing a trend here. Huh? Ah, yeah. we're kind of seeing both both uh, you know both sides of the uh, political fence, but. It seems things kind of start in the Senate and end up at the House, not just at state, but at federal level when it Mm -hmm. comes to topics as it pertains to cannabis. Uh, But I thought that was pretty impressive because I'm with you, you know, for those that don't know, um, back when I was in mainstream media and marketing, I was with Scripps, which their uh, headquarters is out in Knoxville, Tennessee, beautiful Knoxville, Tennessee, love East Tennessee, my gosh, I'd move back there in a New York minute. Um, But I did venture through some of those Southern Mm -hmm. states and you're right, there's a few, even though. A place like Tennessee has notoriously been between fifth and seventh place on highest uh, production by state hmm. of illicit cannabis. So, Because no. I, mean, I did see more than just stills in those back roads that I was riding my bike around. There's on a about.
2: whole lot of uh, open land around there, there so is I would not be surprised. And <laughs> a lot of canopy
1: cover, I might add, too. Yeah, yeah. But it was interesting, to your point. I knew, I was very cognizant while living in the south and southeast of these more predominant states that are hardcore in the prohibition and really take that mm-hmm. traditional, again, we were talking about in our last show, you know, that probably Salinger, Nixon, you know, Daryl Gates type approach towards cannabis, but Mississippi, Alabama, to a certain extent, Georgia, Florida, I mean, all those and not that the Carolinas or Tennessee or, or you know, Arkansas, the next tier up, if you will, for Mid-Atlantic is much better, but it seems to be a little more forgiving. It's
2: the, the deep south that, you know, yeah. everybody, uh, well, let's say a lot of people use cannabis down there, but we're very careful who we talk to about yeah. it, you know, so yeah. it's, it's definitely still taboo and you know, again, why education is so important. So if you're in Mississippi, Florida, Alabama, thank you for listening to this show and congrats on, uh, moving things forward a little bit, Mississippi. I hope that, uh, things get passed in the house.
1: Yes. Yes. (laughs) And, uh, I'm hoping so too. I mean, and this, this does kind of carry over, you know, the Carolinas are coming around, they're already being recognized, um, at least specifically North Carolina, but I, I think the Carolinas equally as being an epicenter for hemp production. Um, props out, I do have to say, because again, this is there's a few sayings that I was taught uh, while living in in Knoxville, Tennessee, and a, a few expressions that were used. But one was uh, Kentucky's more southern than Tennessee, and I, I didn't quite understand that because. Not that I was big on geog- geography when I, <laughs> when I was in school, but this industry of all things has really, really got me to polish uh, my my maps, my mental maps, mm-hmm. because keeping track of of legalization and all the rest of it—not just for the companies I've worked for, but you know, for for my educational purposes—and um, I knew that geographically, at least, literally, not metaphorically, that Kentucky was further north than Tennessee. And then I had to have it explained yeah. to me. So, and you might know this, because um, then again, I, I had people that also ask if I was a Northerner and I was like, what the hell are they talking <laughs> I'm like, I'm a Westerner. I guess I'm a referee in this game because I'm from California. I'm not a Northerner because it's very, a little, little bit of that North versus South still goes on in the mm-hmm. Southeast. Um, <laughs> but they explained that uh, during the Civil War in regards to the Underground Railroad, uh, which God, I read a, a few really good books growing up on that, being a huge MLK Jr. fan, and just learning about the backstory of, of you know slavery in this country and how it's affected not just them, Asian American, and, and concentration camps. And not, there's a whole other topic, but um, how that was the end of the Underground Railroad because. Mm-hmm. The, 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 essentially the dividing line between the South and the North was that border of Kentucky and Ohio.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so to hold the line, as they say, I think in military terms, they would literally have that much more of an emphasis on the Southern ideologies uh, right up there to the line in Kentucky. So that's what people that were locals in Tennessee were telling me, Kentucky's more Southern just because of their mentality. Um, but then you look at now and going back to the governor, not just the governor, but, but senators as well out of Kentucky, man, they've been beating the hemp drum. I'm so stoked. I mean, I never would have imagined Kentucky knowing that backstory uh, that they'd be so pro uh, cannabis. Cause at the end of the day, hemp is, is just a weaned out THC iteration of cannabis sativa, which is the the, the kingdom that we're speaking of as far as plants go. And it just amazes me how much they've gone to bat, but they also, on the same token, and I apologize, I don't have the article right in front of me. Um, you know, Cuomo's talking about doing uh, legalization within the next year, like he just. And again, I know he's looking at it from a cash cow perspective, mm-hmm. from a tax, uh, from a tax incentive, um, and and the way he's going about it is not right. It's I don't know, a little too capitalistic, a little too segmented, a little bit too much government tied into the the way things go. But you know, the one thing that. Kentucky was telling New York was essentially, don't just do it for the, you have to do it for the right reasons, Mm -hmm. not just doing it for a financial gain, but doing it for how it benefits uh, people, the industry, the community, uh, medically, you know, all of that.
2: And I think, you know, the the politicians and people in power are going to, you know, if they choose to help legalize it in medical or, you know, adult use fashion, they're going to do it for whatever reason they want to. And it really just matters that you put people in place to help oversee these, uh, you know, you know, baby new markets that actually do care a little bit that actually oh, yeah. know about the plant. So I think like the how is going to be whatever, you know, I think it's yeah. just like putting those people into action that actually understand like how to do this successfully and where it's going to be more than just like, you know, making money for the government and screwing over the consumers, which unfortunately some, some states have found themselves in. So oh my gosh,
1: <laughs> yes, a whole other, but
2: it's, it's such a learning curve. This is so new for, for everybody. And, you know, even still and. In Colorado and California and you know, relatively established markets, they're still having to figure things out. So
1: it's true. It's yeah. true. I mean they and, I remember they amended the laws in Colorado, I think, eighty five times in their first year. Perfect yeah. example, you know, yeah. for adult use. So. And they're
2: trying to take away the home grow rights there and medical cannabis is about to go out the window in Colorado and I'm it's just, crazy. I never it's, thought that kind of stuff would happen, but you know, I'm with you. I'm with it's, you. It's wild.
1: Well, I think that's a good segue to our guest on this show. We have a very good friend, Jason Scott Arnold, and we have a bit of a connection here in the fact that he's uh, been in Colorado for this industry, as have me and myself. So That's uh, where the great if, ones started. Yes. Don't tell California. <laughs> Do you want me to dial it? Oh, let if, me see. If he's not getting in, I can dial uh, it through yeah, for you. Yeah, let me.
3: Just keep, Don't obviously say it, but pass me over. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think he's calling in just now. And to give a little bit of background on Jason. So, um, you know, planting your well, uh, again, sorry, I'm outdoors, so always reference outdoor. Sorry for those perpetual indoor growers. Um, but as far as outdoor goes, we're really getting ready, right? Because a lot of us, you know, right now, you're in pre germ state, germination right around the corner, and you get the girls in the ground, as we say, within the next few months. And so. Hey, this is
3: Jason. How's it going?
1: And there's Jason. I was just leading in, man. How are you doing, buddy? <laughs>
3: I'm doing awesome. How are you guys?
1: Good, good. We were just talking about how it's that time of the year as far as where growers' minds are and getting ready, at least for those of us that grow outdoors. And I said, What better individual to have on than a good friend by the name of Jason? So <laughs> what is happening, and how are you doing,
0: man?
3: I am doing awesome. And I appreciate that. You know, my I started growing cannabis professionally. It was primarily indoor. And so the shift to outdoor, it's, it's so different. And, you know, to your point, this time of year, you need to be, you know, by now, realistically, you need to have your plan, you know, fully together and actually implementing. And so, you know, fixing infrastructure, you know, doing all this stuff to get ready. Uh, I'm actually here in Texas and we got a giant frost. And so, you know, not the normal. And so taking this time to kind of polish up and look at some of my details for, you know, planting density, what varieties we're going to run. And so uh, really taking advantage of some downtime if you get that.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Which, yeah, to your point, now is the time, right? Because it's go time. It's so funny. People think once you're – through germination, you got them in the ground, everything's dialed in, you know, they've made it, they're at least teenagers, everyone thinks you can just sit back and there's really no rest the whole time, right? That's what I find ironic that with people call it the weed. They think it's just wild and it grows phenomenally on its own.
3: <laughs> that's no, just that's not great. true, right? It doesn't grow phenomenally, but you know, it definitely <laughs> needs some help. And if you're in a commercial type setting, it's it's professional. And to your point, it's farming, you know, it's, it's, it's a grind, it's, it's nonstop. Um, even if you're really well prepared and, and well planned, there are a lot of things that nature can throw at you that you know puts a a wrench in in the whole engine and so um you know it keeps you on your toes but to your point there you know when you're actually in the season there's not much time for for rest it's it's really executing against that plan and you know you got to go
1: very true very true and, and speaking of half an ago and, and talking about indoors, again, we were talking about this this connection with Colorado. But I remember, I I, I think we crossed paths. I mean, I know we caught up even more so in NorCal because I spent plenty of time up there. But you were with the guys at uh, M. Hardeen out in Colorado, right, was where, to your point, you really put a lot of emphasis on your indoor grow and, and really mastering the art of growing at elevation because that is a whole different thing than
0: yeah. oh, I'm growing <laughs>
1: on <down> the coast. <laughs> so how was that? I mean, that's what I'd have to ask is – how was that versus growing up in in the coveted Emerald Triangle? Because you were growing up in the middle of it as well, uh, you know, during your time with Henry's. How how was that transitioning as a grower from one extreme to the other?
3: You know, um, it was interesting. So I got my start with, with M. Hardeen. A um, little background, um, you know, when I was 30 years old, I had, I guess, an early midlife crisis. And I wanted to grow cannabis professionally and, um, you know, had loved the plant for, for years, you know, in college, I mm-hmm. uh, really sort of developed that relationship. And, um, you know, I, I found myself unhappy because that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was living in Texas. And at the time, you couldn't even grow low THC cannabis in Texas. And so, you know, I asked my wife, can we please move somewhere where I can do this professionally and follow this, this dream? Yep. And, you know, long story short, we ended up in Uh, Denver, Colorado. He sold our (laughs) mansion in Texas and bought, you know, a 620 square foot house there in uh, Denver. Nice. It's uh, worth a half a million dollars now, by the way. Yeah, right. No no joke. I, I thought that like having a uh, background, um, in management, I would be able to just come to Denver and like snag an upper level, you know, like cannabis type management, gig. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, nobody, you know, everybody cared, like, you know, have you worked with Argus or Priva and you know what a Dosatron is? Like, have you done yeah. large scale horticulture? And, you know, I hadn't. And, you know, for me, it was sort of, uh, an awakening. And so, you know, I swallowed the pride, took an entry-level position and started the grind and I loved it, you know, to be honest. Oh, I yeah. was, more happy and more fulfilled, you know, doing $12 an hour plant work than I was making six figures in Texas.
1: Jeez. I agree. But that says a lot about where your heart is. And that's one thing, that's where we connected. I always know Jason was like, you, I mean, beyond good vibes and, and just telling that you belong in the industry, like you are passionate and you have that heart for cannabis. And, And I can vouch for the fire that you grow. That you can taste it in the plant. Like literally, you are one of those individuals that puts your heart and soul into to what you grow. And you know, I think it does say a lot about to your point, having to go. You know, maybe one step back to go two steps forward. And I've done that in my career. Uh, You know, people that I've mentored over the years, I'm like, hey if if you're looking at your long-term goals, if you're looking at your vision versus just your strategy, sometimes you do have to take a little bit of a step back, but you did and you leaned in and it took you to a whole other level, right? I mean, that's... Well,
3: yeah. And so to answer your, your initial question, um, they're totally different. So, you know, what M. Hardin did at the time, they were known as the uh, largest asset manager of cannabis assets in the United States, specifically cultivation focused. And so, you know there in in the denver Boulder area alone yeah. i think they had you know 13 or 15 grows at the time and so you know they had a lot of uh, of different uh facilities you know so mostly you know retrofits in that area uh, but they were also very active in other states and so you know working from hardeen ended up being really cool because i was able to slowly progress within the organization and You know, um, I got moved to uh, a training and auditing type role, and that allowed me to travel and see all these different grows across North America, uh, including, you know, some very nice purpose built machines in Canada that are like, you know, tailor made to just pump out fire Mm -hmm. nonstop. And, (laughs) (laughs) you know, going to Mendocino, uh, totally different experience. It's, you know, the climate is perfect for growing a lot of the varieties that mm-hmm. we know and love, and, you know, that area is so rich in the heritage of cultivation, you know, they're, they're totally different experiences. But, you know, what's cool is you can take a lot of what you've learned in terms of controlled environment agriculture yeah. and then apply that to an outdoor or a, a scenario like maybe hoop houses where you have very low infrastructure, but still use those same techniques and methods to really increase your quality.
1: And that's what you guys did. I remember that, you know, just going back to, to Henry's, you know, you guys were hoop on the hill and then, you know, you had, you had the, the moms indoor and such and, you know, the teens indoors to start. But it, it was an impressive operation because people don't understand, yeah, it might be an ideal climate, but that's the climate. You still are dealing with the variables of an uncontrolled environment because it's kind of finite, right? Versus a fully enclosed indoor grow where you're controlling exactly. everything from RH to AW to ambient and everything in between. It's insane. You know, just Absolutely. how different it's,
3: it's, it's it is. Like, Everything you, you're mentioning, you know, great uh, barometers, metrics for, you know, crop steering or plant yeah. empowerment. And, you know, outdoors, you you don't have that luxury always. And, you know, there's things that you can do in terms of, like, you know, how you're irrigating, you know, how you're feeding, using folulars. Um, And if you are in hoop houses, you know, you, you do have a little bit more control, you know, the high tunnel aspect yeah. in terms of. You know the kind of covers you use for the structures uh, in terms of diffusing the light, yep. um, and even how you actually use the structures themselves in terms of you know rolling up the sides uh, for airflow and, and blah blah blah. To your point, you know, steering the crop via VPD and, and blah blah blah, but um, you're at the, the will of nature, and so you know, no matter how well you plan, you know, if you have a giant hailstorm or if you have yeah. an early frost. You know those are all things uh, that you have to consider that you don't when growing in a you know greenhouse or indoor environment,
1: yep, yeah. and I've seen some guy i mean I, and it's not just limited to cannabis growers, I've seen it through the fields of of you know you know san joaquin valley in in California, but man, guys having to bust out the heaters and the big swamp fans and such just to try to balance what they can in those those kind of quasi controlled environments. And again, it's although the gain, I still go back to because I know everyone always geeks out on the geno, and and again, you're in the middle of it, so everyone the, the trendy triangle strains were all around you when you were up there. But beyond the genotype, that phenotype, you know, that pheno that just is bound, oh, you, know? you know. To
3: me, it's like that's where the rubber meets the road. You know, yeah. it, it, the genotype is sort of irrelevant in this context. You know, if you're growing for um, uh, flower sales, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you can't get that expression in your environment.
1: Yep. Yep. Very well put. And so what kind of leading on to that, you know, good old Texas and, um, man, what a move. You've got a lot going on now. So, so what is the scene? Tell us a little bit, I guess, first off, and I know you have some history of Texas, but, um, yeah. What the difference is going from Colorado that was med then adult use, you're there for adult use, of course, um, coming to California where technically the first medical legal state in the country and then going to Texas, which is little more red (laughs) in california that's definitely a crimson uh blue and then uh you know and then uh colorado which is purple i I don't know it's Mm -hmm. it's you know blue in the middle but kind of red around the the
3: edges i think colorado and texas are kind of similar in that aspect you know a little bit yeah seem to be a little more blue and then you go more rural and it seems to be a little more red yeah Yeah. for sure but texas to your point extremely conservative with their cannabis policy um you know, not a place you want to get caught with, you know, any sort of cannabis. But with that said, uh, while working for M. Hardine in 2017, I got to come back to Texas where they, um, a company that uh, was contracted with M. Hardin, had won a license. And I got to help set up one of the first of three current medical uh, facilities here in Texas. So Dude. Texas does have a medical program. Mm-hmm. They do. Very small. Um, yeah. Initially, it was only intractable epilepsy. Mm-hmm. Um, they've since expanded conditions, but still a very, very small market.
0: Gotcha. And we, that's,
3: however, actually permitted for hemp, and so we will be growing oh, gotcha. very low THC stuff.
1: Yeah, yes. and that I want to point out something because that's I, I was just on a um, there's a call this this friend of mine Raymond R W Navis does, and it's kind of like. It's interesting who's who of the industry, a lot of lot of money people in it, which is weird for me because that's not me. I'm more the passion guy. But I yeah. was just on one of the calls last week, and someone was talking about, you know, level of legalization where and I'm like, what you guys don't understand is, you know, this doesn't even cover the full gamut of legalization. I said Texas technically does have legal cannabis right now. They passed the the Texas Compassionate Care Act of 2017. Yeah. And to your point, specifically for, for you know, epilepsy, um, you know, CBD primarily. But they even amended it in 2019 to include THC now. But it's funny because they keep it very quiet. It's kind of that, that mistress, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. late at night, don't want to share with the neighbors, but yet, again, it's something that technically has been legal, you know, has been has been to a certain very restricted level, to your point. Legal. Everyone thinks it's still legal. They still think that Texas is like yeah. barely even on board with hemp.
2: And can't you have like a, up to like an ounce or something and just get a fine? I don't know. I have
1: a they, friend that just moved to Texas. And- yeah, I think it's a, what they call a catch hey, and release totally right. yeah. program like so Louisiana.
3: Jurisdiction. Um, I know in Dallas they've struggled with it. Austin is a little more liberal with it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it, it, so we're, we're getting on board. You know, Texas is so business friendly. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. surprising. And they haven't, you know, embraced it a little more, but yep. you know they're slow. Um, you know, but when you look at the political climate, uh, the Texas AG Commissioner Sid Miller is very pro cannabis. He wants to, you know, expand, uh, you know, the the cultivation and whatnot, and so he mm-hmm. gets how this could impact, you know, Texas farmers, and so fingers crossed it's going to happen soon. You know, it, it seems at this point there's only maybe I guess two states that don't have medical mm-hmm. laws, and so yeah. you know, it seems like the tide is finally turning.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. And uh, I bet Texas will be a, a really cool place to be when, whenever that does happen, so.
3: I would
1: say so. I mean, yeah. that's the interesting thing, <laughs> just to give some stats about Texas beyond being the largest in the lower 48, although yeah, yeah. Alaska could eat it up at least twice. Uh, <laughs> but in the lower 48, I mean, you guys are the largest. You have your own infrastructure. You have your own utilities. You have your own direct access to port. I mean, Texas really is, um, you know, a kind of a country within a country, and oh, by the way, you know, 27 million pop. I mean, it's not a small. Yeah. That's that's the third largest. Houston. This surprises me, and, yeah. and I know you know this, right, Jason? But Houston is the fourth largest populated city in the country. Wow. Over Dallas. Wow. O- over how many other places? I mean, Houston over is massive. Over San Francisco, yeah. over fill in the blank. Yeah, it is massive. But you're right as well, Jason, in the fact that Texas actually has, as of 2020, come in number one for the easiest state to do business in. Um, you flip that on the inverse in New York and California, mm-hmm. or uh, I believe second and third. I can't remember this. It was a small state that was number one worst to do business in. But to your point, and so, so many people, and I, I was joking around, Jason and I, we, we catch up randomly. And I said it, I'm, I'm like, oh, yeah, how's it going to Texas? You know, and how many Californians have been following you? Right.
3: Exactly. <laughs> because well, honestly, so many, many people are moving California there. California is so spectacular. but." After living there for two years, we struggled, man. It is so expensive. The state income tax is rough. You know, I I see why people move back to Texas. Texas, Mm -hmm. you get a lot for your money in terms of housing. Uh, Other costs are low. Texas is great. I can't, you know, it's it's extremely hot in the summer. You know, brutal. You know, it's not, you know, sunny in in 75 like (laughs) your area. uh, Yeah. It's uh, it's nice. It's a great place to live.
1: Yeah, and you give and take. I mean, that's one thing, And again, tangent, but it's so true. I look at that coming back here after experiencing life outside of California for six and a half years in East Tennessee and then Colorado. And I was like, man, this is not – people always come back at me with, oh, yeah, but the weather. I'm like, you can have it. I'm like, the, the cost of living, <laughs> the overcrowding, the taxes. And I'm a California boy. I grew yeah. up in NorCal, surfed in Santa Cruz, hung out with the hippies in the, in the hills. I mean, like, I love it. Huge respect for it. It's not the state I grew up in. And the, the California dream is dead. It died with the boomers. Oh. I'm sorry, but <laughs> your point alone, Jason, that I'm saying, don't leave yeah. I mean, You can still make it happen. But I mean, I, that's what I'm looking at. I'm yeah. looking at Washington state. I'm looking, you know, at, at states that for one, no state income tax. I mean, that alone is thousands of dollars of difference. Yeah. And cause I'm not seeing the return on that. You know, I'm not seeing a benefit. Of Put that into
2: it. a swimming pool to, you know, cover that hot weather that you <laughs> have to deal with wherever you are. Yeah.
0: So,
1: But there's other people <laughs> that are driving Californians to Texas. And I do think there, there is going to be an influence. You know, some people believe that, when individuals move out of California, the markets they move to, they're going to turn them into California. You know, oh, here come the libs. You know, here come these these people, their crazy antics, their drugs and, and you know, alternative lifestyle. Uh, yeah. And it's interesting because they find it more so factual, the, the, the big migration, as they're calling it right now. These people are migrating to uh, states with like-minded people. Mm-hmm. So people from California that are conservative are moving more so to Texas and Idaho. Uh, Californians that are a bit more liberal are moving to places like Washington, Oregon, Colorado. So the stats are showing that. But having said that, I still think, to your point, Jason, I cal- the that... Texas is going to make that that difference. And, I mean, there's reasons for it to change in that more opportunity. I mean, Tesla, Elon Musk just gave two middle fingers to California and sold that. his mansions and <laughs> Uh Joe Rogan, uh, kind of friend of a friend who has a little podcast, he up and moved. I mean, it's just everyone's getting out of California. It's like the weather doesn't cut it, yeah. you know, as far as compromise. So, <laughs> you, you know, know the, the
3: the the state is beautiful, but to your point, it's it's just so – not business friendly, you know, yeah. from a cannabis yeah. perspective, the hoops that you have to jump through to go through licensing is insane. You know, my heart breaks for the small farms of Mendocino that oh, aren't man. gonna make it. You know, there's yeah. so many that are unable to transition to the the new market because they don't make it easy.
1: No. And you and you heard the stories up there, JC. It's unfortunate. I have friends who who came out of the shadows as we say. You know, and they went, I mean, even getting the permit, they're having to borrow money just to get the permit prior to 64 full license. And here they have a neighbor who is still catering to the East Coast, getting four to five grand conservatively per pound. Um, They aren't showing an income on the book. So they're able to take advantage of programs like Medi-Cal and of CMSP local medical programs, local tech, even getting breaks on utilities. Mm -hmm. Um, You qualify for that if you're under a certain income. Um, There are people that need that. There's very much people that need that. Then there's people that are working the system. And so you're right. My heart goes out to my friends that um, all those boutique growers, right, the sub-acre growers up in Northern California, that they're putting out phenomenal, I mean, when the evolution comes to this whole micro macro and people start appreciating more of the rogue river and Mm -hmm. less of the freaking bud light, (laughs) I think those guys just, if they can hang in there and, but, but kind of looking back on yours, like you're building a brand out there. I mean, that's one thing, looking at your track record, uh, Jason, this is so awesome because for when, not if, for when that comes, and maybe Texas will come just before federal. I think it could, to be honest. I think, I think I think as far as the the states go, I think Texas could flip within the next year or two um, before federal I hope so. I mean,
3: like I said, this is all I've done the past five years. I would love to be able to get on the the high THC train, but, you know, there's a ton of other interesting markets. So I spent the past four months working in Oklahoma. You know, a lot of people don't look at Oklahoma as an interesting market, but very low barriers to entry. So it's the opposite of California. Yes. Tons of moms and pops that can hop in and and play. And so, Mm You know, I think it's a space to watch for sure.
2: Yeah, yep. definitely. I've heard that too.
1: Yep. It's been a hot topic. So I think the licenses, I remember, because I have one friend that him, it was like five grand. And yep. then... It's a limitless, which this does scare me because I'm, I'm not about extreme capitalism. The only thing that concerns me about the Oklahoma market is it's a limitless state um, as far as license. Mm-hmm. So you saw a limitless mm-hmm. license in in Oregon and exactly. their supply demand. Oh, you'd hear the horror stories. I know you did, Jason. So you're in NorCal right? and, the, and the triangle extends into to Rogue Valley all the way, in my opinion, all the way up to, you know, to the pass up there to Grants Pass but you know these guys i had one friend he is a third largest producer in the state we grew up together he's he's a norcal grower and he was getting on his fire i mean forbidden fruit and animal cookies and runts yeah. and all this fire stuff and he was getting a buck a gram wholesale it was insane oh, man. it was insane yeah 500
3: was was the and that's yeah yep. that's what it is 500 so bucks i think that's good and bad you know i think that as a cultivator you know, when you look at other crops, there is nothing in even remotely close to the profitability of cannabis. Even if yeah, $500 true. a pound, you know, I know people got fat on the days of prohibition, you know, if they were willing to take a risk. But, yep. you know, I think for the consumer, it's it's good. You know, I think that, that those low barriers to entry, you know, let a lot of people in and, you know, to your point, drives the price down as supply goes up. And I think that, that that's good for the consumer is kind of yeah. how I see it. And as an operator, you know... It, it sort of forces you to understand your cost of goods sold and, and you know, where you're spending money.
1: Oh, my God. And that couldn't be more true. That's exactly. Jason, I had a friend who um, used to run Autopod International uh, Department, and we were speaking on a panel up in Reno a few years ago, and he did a tour of SoCal before I didn't catch up with him. I was coming out from Colorado on the way. And we met in Reno, and he had toured. I want to say 12 or 13 indoor operations, uh, everything from, you know, from the coast into Palm Springs. And he was doing the math, you know, just on the cogs. He's like, you guys are coming in because they're all indoor, 100%. Not, not even skylights, not even solar tubes, which to right. me is like dysfunctional, not even solar panels on site. Sure. And so they're coming in at like 850, 900 a pound. And, and oh this is- be- yep. That's back when you wholesale run, was, yeah, yeah. It's, yep.
3: It's, you know, and they were still making, they were still printing money, I'm sure, because the margins were so high. And, yep. you know, I, like I said, I think it's good for the consumers, you know, and I, I don't have sympathy for, you know, people who are wasting money on bottle nutrients and blah, blah, blah. Like, I think yep. that it forces you to have a better understanding of your craft. And to your point about, you know, when the, the market evolves, I think that this really will help the micro growers who probably already have, you know, a lower cost of goods sold that are, you know, focusing on making their own inputs and yep, you know, yep. building robust soil. Yeah, you know, I yeah. think Close that, loop. it really yep. puts them at an advantage.
1: Yep, I agree. And I think if we look at anything, I'm always able to find the silver lining. I think with Oregon with that that unfortunate scenario they had for the first several years of legalization, gosh, um, I mean they really they were dealing with that for five years, four, four years of, of the excessive inventory. Um, I think it ended up paying off because to your point, it's like, I know I'd go up there and I saw, I kid you not. I was on um, an Oregon, I call it the Oregon trail tour, visiting friends that grow <laughs> along the way. You know, we stopped buying dispensaries, especially the college towns. I love Eugene and Cavalez. Mm-hmm. They're just so cool. And we were in Eugene and I went back a few months later. They weren't open anymore. Go figure They were selling ounces for 40 bucks. Mids, oh, yeah. mids, were not they, even, not even hey, hey, like reserves.
2: Yeager?
1: Yeah, it, it was, it was insane, man.
2: That's crazy. Was just, yeah,
1: they were, yeah. In, it was too tight for them. But, but the point being is, so it it took people from the illicit market and started having them go to the compliant market. And I think it's paid off because the, the prices started coming up because they started balancing the supply and demand. And last year, I'm really excited to say, cause that's only a populous state of 4.2 million. I don't know how I remember these. If not for my <laughs> photographic memory, I'd be screwed. Um, they're four point two million. They had over a billion dollars in legal cannabis sales last year. A billion dollars yeah. for a four million pop state. Like that says yeah. that people now trust going to that source, and the price is reasonable. the The balance, the market is there, is there as far as balance. So I, I agree. I think that. people
3: want legal weed. You know, I think that yeah. the illicit market is only exists to to fill that gap. You know, yeah. it's, yep. it's <laughs> it, it will disappear if you know you enable uh, a solid market and i think that oregon's a great example 40 ounces that's terrific you know and yeah. take it all day
1: Yep, exactly yeah. true. Exactly true. So so the future for Texas. So tell us a little bit about the brand you're building and huge props for Hemp, because in my opinion, especially if you're doing uh, high-grade smokable and you don't have to admit that on the radio, but um, it, it, it's <laughs> well, about in, in just as hard, that, man. <laughs> you know,
3: Texas has kind of fought um, the the selling of the yeah. smokable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there are some amazing lawyers that are, are taking it to court, and so there is an injunction. We'll see how all that plays out. Um, worst case, you could always wholesale it. You know, that yeah. is totally above board, but um, honestly, man, the hemp is sort of my side hustle. It's, it's what I've done for the past five years. So I'm going to keep growing, you know, at home obviously. Um, but I have sort of formalized a consulting, uh, sort of gig. And so as a side hustle for the past two, almost three years now, um, I've been very lucky to have friends who reach out and say, Hey, I'm working on this new project, uh, could use your help. And, so I've sort of uh, gone all in with that and uh, nice. very excited.
1: Very cool, very cool. And I can see you fitting into that. You're, you've always, you know, as far as being like an extrovert and very personable and approachable, you know, There's, you're one of a few, you know, in this industry, I've always like, God, he's like a brother, the way that you have an attitude and outlook towards, you know, towards everything. So that's awesome oh, to man, hear. that
3: means a ton to me.
1: Yeah, man. Well, you are, you, you and the family both are, are just Awesome, awesome people, definitely cool human beings. So, but I'm, I love hearing that. And I think it's inevitable. Um, again, some some crazy stuff. I will say one other story, speaking of them, you mentioned how they're uh, kind of looking down on the whole smokeable versus textile on hemp. And I remember another article that stands out from Texas. It must've been over a year ago now. And they had, um, I think it was down, don't act surprised, but down at Bush in in Houston. Mm-hmm. At the airport, they were starting to pop people for possession. Everything from the co-ed, there was like a 21 year old kid, up to a 73 year old woman yeah. uh, that they had confiscate, confiscated in in some issues, caught and released, but in other issues, actually incarcerated and charged for possession. And all of the cases, I can't remember, Jason. You might remember the story. I mean, it was dozens and dozens of cases. I want to say almost uh, 110. That got thrown out because they did not have the proper devices to be able to test to prove that it had any levels of THC because this was after the 2018 Farm Bill. Mm -hmm. So if someone says it's CBD from hemp, okay, well, you're you're in um, not in civil. Court, but in criminal right. court in this country you're you're innocent until proven guilty versus guilty till proven innocent and civil totally. so so that's what they said they said prove it and they literally did not have a lab or at least the equipment within a state own lab to be able to test that and prove that it did in fact not have, or I remember did that. have THC. I
2: remember when yeah. that happened. I mean,
1: that's <laughs> so, but again, I think it's just, you know, they want to have their, every, we were just talking about this. Every state kind of has its own attitude and its own yeah. angle, and they think they're special and unique. I don't know if that came from <laughs> back in the <laughs> shifting from territory to union days, but so many states and even on a, you know, on a parallel to that uh, Mia will remember this cause she's in Colorado as well for it. You know, and you came shortly after, Jason, but, you know, with legalization in Colorado, I remember, you know, it was Washington, then Oregon, you know, they kind of started following,
0: Mm -hmm. you know,
1: following suit, but they wouldn't really interact with each other. Like, you know, Washington is like, oh, we're different than Colorado. So we're We're going to do things differently. We're going to do it our way. And they, in my opinion, still, they botched the medical program there. Um, And then Oregon.
3: You think that there would be more dialogue and you figure out, hey, what works for y'all, what Exactly. And, yeah. You know, build from there.
1: Yeah. And that's that's part of the challenge. I mean, especially for brands, right? And we've seen the brands that have expanded, you know, props to Burner, you know, I've talked to him before, doing a great job, obviously a cookies making it not just a national but international brand. And quite honestly, that's a marketing company, in yeah. my opinion. They happen to sell cannabis, but they also happen to sell a lot of shirts of right. zoomies. It, <laughs> it's will <laughs> just throw that out there. It's a it weed is, company. In it my is opinion. a brand, 100 <laughs> percent And uh, but you know what they're doing, it's a challenge because yeah. Um, And this was another topic of of that call I was talking about last uh, last Thursday where, you know, it's one thing to expand your brand, but the continuity and consistency because all of the laws and the rules and regulations are so different from state to state. There's some states where you can't even distill the same way as far as your end product, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in one versus the other. So how can you expect anyone to recognize the consistency? So it can't be a McDonald's right now because there isn't federal legalization to allow that to apply.
0: Yeah.
2: But they're
1: so, working on it. Yeah, yeah, they are. It's
2: a got to think outside of the box. To be around. in around the weed industry, so
1: yeah. <laughs> which is a good question for you, Jason. That's that's kind of it. this is a more of a philosophical, I guess. But what is your opinion or forecast on legalization at a federal level, or I guess we should say decriminalization because it, be, it has to be descheduled and decriminalized before it can be legalized, similar to what Mexico is you know, still working through.
3: Go ahead. <laughs> what are going to say about Mexico?
1: Oh, I was going to say, Mexico's still working through it, man. I mean, they, they deemed it unconstitutional, which you might as well, okay, so it's it's unlawful to uh-huh. make illegal, but now they're just, they're trying to figure out how to bring the infrastructure and framework into legalization, so I, I hope we don't take that long. But anyway, yeah, what's your opinion on, at a federal level?
3: You know, I, I'm not super plugged in politically these days. I, I try to... <laughs> stay as far away <laughs> from that as possible for <laughs> my own sanity. But, you know, I, I think it's ridiculous that we're even still having this conversation in 2021. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that the the vast consensus of Americans is that it is a healthy alternative to a lot of other bad things that are socially accepted and also federally legal. And so, yeah. you know, I don't know. I, I think that it's it, it's long overdue, you know, and to your point, because you have all of these other states that have implemented their own rules and regulations, it's difficult to just flip a switch and say everything's now legal or decriminalized because you mm-hmm. have all these Conflicting, you know, rules and regulations, and to your point about the the story uh, there in Houston of not being able to differentiate between hemp and THC, you know, it's crazy that that's even a thing. You know, that you have to (laughs) try and and look for this one specific phytochemical because it's prohibited. You know, this whole thing is such a farce, and everybody knows it's built on, you know, racist uh, undertones of you know, holding down minorities and, and other political groups. And so, I don't know, man, I just, I'm ready for it.
1: <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> and you're lining yourself up for, I mean, that's again, that, you know, you're, we're similar and coming from, to your point, Jason, like upper, upper management, fortune 500, you know, being in that whole corporate race and talking about politics, that's a whole other side of those right. businesses. And, you know, it is interesting, but it is smart to be a savvy business person in this space and, um, you know, I'm sure you've been approached as has me and myself where people, you know, coming from all sectors and all backgrounds, uh, that are passionate about cannabis for one reason or another helped them with cancer, helped them with sleep, you know, um, help their family members, whatever the case may be, but they become so passionate and they ask about how they can get in and do they have to wait till federal legalization? And they don't, I mean, the opportunity is now, and that's why I keep reminding people we need doctors, we need scientists, we need logistics, we need security, we need HR. We, I mean, you fill in the blank, every position that exists in a mainstream business, media marketing guys like me. I mean, that's, I, I, I'm i thankful for being able to get into the industry because of my media background. Um, but we need those individuals and we need them just like you being prepared for the plausibility of um, next level legalization in Texas. Like we need people to be ready to join the, the, the force because this is going to be a whole other level. Um, when federal legalization comes around. And oh. you know, you think a
2: lot of people are moving to Texas now?
1: Oh my gosh. There's no <laughs> reason not to. Wait. That po- I mean <laughs> and as cheap as a house is hot. It's hot. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's hot. Yeah. And know, oh, by the way, you're you're part of Tornado Alley to the north and in tropical stores. Uh, all south.
2: I know is there are always a yeah. lot of Texans on my weed tours. So I oh know that gosh. people love weed from Texas. Yeah, they
1: do. So. <laughs> they do. Especially to his point. Austin, never have a problem. <laughs> Austin, <laughs> never have a problem. Houston. Austin, Dallas, Austin. oh man, yeah, a
2: lot of places. Yeah, San Antonio. Yeah,
1: <laughs> heavy drinking, heavy smoking. Yeah, they, yeah. they
2: like to have fun, Texans. Yeah, and I think
1: it's a southern. I, I think, and I know some people. You know, is Texas, yes, in my opinion, Texas is a part of the South, <laughs> and I do think they know how to how to get their party on for
3: sure. So, yeah,
1: so awesome. But yeah, you
3: hit the nail on the head. I mean, this is going to be huge when it finally happens because it's you know you need a. Everything you know mm-hmm. i t marketing, operations, horticulture, you know, the phytochemical, the pharmaceutical, you know I think yeah. it'll be yep. you know amazing
2: testing.
1: very true, very true. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, so I kind of want to leave last with going back full circle since we're we're getting into uh, the start of the season here uh, for outdoors. Where are you at on genetics, man? Any, uh, any input or opinion on what is firing to keep an eye on out there? And uh, in some tried and trues that you're a big fan of that you'd recommend as well?
3: So honestly, man, I'm super keyed into the low THC stuff right now just because yeah. that's where the next sort of gig is. Um, working with some previous clients, um, did get to see some, some cool new varieties, uh, double deja vu, um, high THC, very cool. Um, you know, but at this point, I've probably cultivated, you know, 400-plus varieties, seen them all. Uh, to me, you know, um, I personally am a, a smell guy, you know, the nose nose. Um, so, you know, the things that I like, um, I'm more of like a gassy diesel kind of guy, like uh, rubbers and plastics, a uh, little bit of florals. Uh. Nice. So, yeah, man, uh, like Primus OG is not a new one by any means, but it's mm-hmm. definitely one of my favorites. Uh, nice. Newer, uh, really enjoyed growing uh, and consuming uh, Mendo breath. You know, shout oh, out Oh,
1: yes. That's a good one. <laughs> That's kind of a classic, oh, a modern classic, i yeah, yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. So I'm
2: like, I don't know if I can call it like an actual classic, but I know. It's, it's definitely a familiar strain to me. So yeah, very
3: true. <laughs> what about y'all? What is some of your newer favorite varieties to grow or consume?
2: Well, I haven't been growing since I left Colorado. Um, not enough space here in LA for me. Um, <laughs> but I've been really liking some ice cream cake lately. Um, this, uh, London pound cake. I've been really enjoying, um, this company fresh baked, uh, has tons of good stuff. They're, uh, Chocolate cookie dough is probably uh, one of my favorites lately. So that does sound good. Nice. Yeah, yeah
3: the ice cream cake is really yeah. good. Uh, mm-hmm. Nice one to grow too. Finishes early if you're going outdoor.
2: Beautiful plants too. I've only seen indoor, uh, but really, really pretty. So.
1: Yeah, and for me, mm-hmm. um, last season, I agree, it's funny because, you know, man, Jason, I was traveling so much for this industry the first several years, and I was really missing growing. I mean, I still, I've got some fruit trees and, you know, my rose bushes and peppers and stuff. I, I always grow stuff for salsa. That's a low-maintenance, <laughs> in in my opinion. Those are low-maintenance oh, yeah. crops yeah. versus <laughs> cannabis. So I was refraining from uh, doing anything while I was traveling so much. But the pandemic I was like, what the heck? So I went into my little personal seed bank and I thought, you know what, since it's been a while anyway, and I'm rusty, we might as well just throw an extra wrench into the equation. And I had a handful of seeds that weren't labeled because traditionally, especially seeds I get overseas or right, Europe or Australia, Africa, I always am sure to, to properly label them. But there's a handful I didn't have a label for. And uh, pop six, <laughs> one kind of went sideways on me. Uh, gave one away. The last four, I was kind of bummed. Three of them were autos. And again, I know I'm going to be the old man here, but I'm just, I'm not, I don't need autos. <laughs> I want all natural. That's just me. Um, and there's a place and uh, time
3: for them. Yeah, there is. But I'm right. i right, so yeah. They've come a long way.
1: They have. They have. I'll say that. You know, and, and again, I, I have to give Europe a bit of credit. And I know they, I, they have the reasons, and then I know the real reasons why they're so big on feminizing auto over there. But for sure. I have to give them credit because the, I think those those geneticists have been the ones that have been spending so much time and effort.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and there was one that was great. I called I don't I don't know what it was. This is the whole point. They weren't labeled, but I called <laughs> it my bonsai auto. And I, I don't think I think I brought a little bit for you. Uh-huh. Wasn't high THC, but it was a pretty diverse profile. Yeah. Um, the other one that I did, the one that was a natural. Uh, was a it I don't know, Jason. It it looked, smelled, taste, felt like a Jack Jacarera to me, but I um, mean yes. it's a little different. So I don't know what it was crossbred with. So I just call it my headstrong haze.
3: And that's and I, what I did last
1: season. Yeah, so. Those
3: hazy turps, I'm I'm getting older now. You know, I'm in my mid yeah. I I can't I can't even smell them without my palms getting sweaty. I'm a little high <laughs> strung to begin with. I'm sure you can tell. Uh, but, but yeah, I smell those. I'm like, woof, too much. Yeah. Give me the gas. I
1: yeah, that. I'm 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 normally in, and that's why I think part of you might be a NorCal heart because I'm a, li- a little more into the gas too. I have to mm-hmm. admit. I mean, but I do like the fruits. So yeah, I'm I'm also with the cake, but more so with the. Um, with the, uh, wedding cake, you know, a little bit of, uh, yeah. gelato and, and, uh, totally. you know, or ice cream cake, great. I should say. You know, a lot of people I hear cake.
3: rag on it, you know, it's yeah. I, like
1: it. yeah. I like it. Same with Skittles, you know, with a Z. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally.
3: Same with Skittles,
1: man. I love, I mean, it's just something about it. And then you look at the moms and you're like, yeah, this makes sense. I might be attracted to it. Um, uh, but another one that's, uh, not to get all strain hunter here, but sure. one that a friend came across some rogue seed, uh, it was a Harlequin cross with um, uh, GDP. And oh, oh, nice. I, yeah, if you could, right? So the Harlequin, you know, is such a, a dominant CBD and mm-hmm. such a dominant like right. body. Yeah, yeah. And then you take something like Granddaddy Purple, which the purples like that, Purple Urkel has always, for me, it's hit. I don't know what the terpene yeah. profile is on those, but you take a Harley, Harley Quinn and GDP, and I just had to lay down and listen to some Jimi Hendrix. I going to say,
2: like, I would be oh. out.
1: Yeah, it was comatose. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, I think the mercine was pretty stout. But, nice. um, but yeah, man, so definitely, yeah, I thought I'd ask, and you're right. You know, A lot of the guys um, like yourself who are focusing on uh, smokable CBD or just high-quality CBD um, it's a different game. I, I hear them speak a different language about these genetics and they're pulling genetics from everywhere because there's such few compared to again what the triangle is pumping out every year, which is, you know, let's he with the greatest THC wins, which annoys the right. shit out of me because right, I want the terpene right. profile. Well, I,
3: I think yeah. we've done ourselves a disservice with a lot of the breeding in that capacity. And to your point, that's what's nice about the, the hemp market is it sort of forces cultivators to look at other options and to find varieties that have some of these, uh, lesser known or, or, you know, less popular, uh cannabinoids and, and terpenes, and so I'm all for it, man. I, I get that stuff into the gene pool.
2: I was going to oh. say, like, what uh, what other cannabinoids do you find are pretty popular in Texas right now besides CBD? What's... You know, you
3: hear farmers <laughs> talking about, you know, the next big thing, I've got this, yeah. this high CBG variety, or this right. high CBN variety, and, wow. uh, <laughs> you know, the, the thing that I always kind of come back to is we're so new in this process mm-hmm. and, you know, for Texas, especially, we've only had one season of hemp. And so it's yeah. not a ton of data in terms of, you know, this is a, a, a reliable variety that's going to have a homogenous cannabinoid profile at a large scale when grown by seed. And so,
0: yeah.
3: you know, I think we're still a few years away, but, uh, you know, last year was huge because, you, you know, Texas grew, uh, I don't know. I think there was like 4.2 million acres licensed. And so, you know, there is, uh, a lot of people trying, and you know, a lot of data coming in. But I think we'll be a few years away until we have, you know, varieties that are like really true CBG or CBN or you know, whatever the hot cannabinoid of, of the day is. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I and I wonder about that. <laughs> I mean, again, this there's so many different you know rabbit holes we can go down. Mm-hmm. But like, funny you mentioned about the CBN because for those that don't know, cannabinol which is oh my gosh, for sleep, phenomenal. I I always have conversations with doctors. And I'm like, you you take anything that you would recommend over the counter or via script and I can match it with a cannabinoid profile. And I talked to him to your point, Jason, you know, like, um, CBD, obviously, you know, that's mm-hmm. the, on the surface, what I've been calling the hero cannabinoid just cause it's opened so many doors and it's opened so many eyes to people at least trying something to I do call with it cannabis. Gateway
2: cannabinoid.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> a great, yeah, a great gateway cannabinoid. Very true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then I think CBG has finally, cannabidiol has gotten a little bit of traction because people are finding the anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very comparable to like an ibuprofen or to an Advil, but again, natural. One that I've been preaching, I swear, for the last four or five years is CBN. And, uh-huh. and again, it's funny you mentioned it, Jason, because it, it, this is, I love it because it's a good example of just how much of an enigma this plant is. And I still think it is because you look at, again, Jason, you, you, agree, you geek out like I do, man, on the, the, the scientific side and the chemical structure side, uh, you know, of this plant. But it's one of those where this is proof that this plant always has something to offer. So... CBN is essentially an oxidized iteration of THC. So I call it a ghost cannabinoid. I don't know if that's fair to but I call it the ghost cannabinoid because the more THC oxidizes, the more CBN you have. So the crazy part is, um, won't name any names, but a certain producer of a certain show that myself and me are on, he'll have <laughs> his flowers sitting out on his desk. And here coming from from my background of like liking to keep stuff, you know, proper RH, being with Bovida for several years and, and beating that drum and maintaining the quality of your cannabis. Uh, Mia and I just talked about this, her saying how she swore by him in Colorado because mm-hmm. it is so freaking dry out there. I mean, it's I'd like wear duck. lotion and went through a chapstick take it a out month. Of the bag. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you take it out. You're like, I felt like I always felt like I was in I compared to Colorado to Amsterdam because mm. Amsterdam is the same thing. You literally you buy it. And when you go to roll it, you don't need grinders. Nobody uses a grinder. Wow. You literally mm-hmm. pinch. You yeah. literally just pinch and twist, and you're in the same in Colorado. Like, poof, and the keef magically it's disappears. Dust. It's
3: yeah. like you're a magician. <laughs> uh, so Have you ever been to Hawaii, like, or a superhuman oh, or the opposite? You take it out of the bag, and dude. it's like, yeah. you need a grinder because it's wet. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. And Hawaii, I have to say that. Uh, props out to Mary with... Um, uh, gosh, she's doing the social justice program with, um, with Steve D'Angelo and, uh, last prisoner project. She has, she actually hosts the, uh, Maui cannabis convention and was out there a few years ago. It's in January, which mm-hmm. is like that's like Southern California weather for Hawaii, right? <laughs> and it was crazy because I'm meeting these locals, um, and they're nice to me for being a Howley. I mean, I I, I was yeah. able to speak their language, thankfully. Yeah. But my gosh, and you you guys know the Pineapple Expresses and the Maui Wauis and in the more popular, the that, that mm-hmm. jump ship for mm-hmm. mainland. Um, but they have some local cultivars. And Jason, you're spot on because it matters where you're growing, not just what you're growing. And we were talking about like um, – my gosh haiku which is uh just on the other side of maui they get over 120 inches of rain a year so if yeah. you can imagine humidity so let me share with you this guy comes older gentleman grower probably 50s he's been mm-hmm. doing it for years he's a local pacific islander his whole life he's been out there and <clears throat> he uses boveda as part of his his uh curing phase nice. uh, just to fine-tune it on the end right and um he goes, yeah, I've been using the same pack for two years. Uh, is what? it still good? And I'm like, oh my <laughs> gosh. There is so much constant humidity even on the dry days. Wow. That it does maintain the RH that he needs, uh-huh. but it never goes dry <laughs> because wow. there's totally. never that <laughs> lack of humidity in the air. It's humid. Um, <laughs> it is very humid. But you go back to what you consume out there, and it's like these guys are literally magicians for uh-huh. being able to grow in this climate. I could not imagine the level of humidity, mm. the level of moisture, um, what what microbials and fungi that could pop oh. off at any time. <laughs> I would lose oh, yeah. sleep literally. Yeah, yeah.
3: You know. <laughs> yeah. And so I actually got to work in Hawaii, you know, like I said, working with him was nice oh, yeah, to yeah. you know, mm-hmm. travel outdoor. And so I didn't actually go to the facility in Hawaii, but we supported a grow there. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's tough. And it was indoor. And so, you know, it was nice. You got the dehumidification and all that. And yeah. so it's not like you're, you're going outdoor and having to battle those elements, but mm-hmm. you know, each place is totally different. And what's, what's interesting is you have different um, to your point, uh, fungus and bacteria in all these locations. And so, you know, working in Nevada, we had problems with things like Fusarium that mm-hmm. we didn't see very often in a place like Denver.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, that's the thing is it can be anywhere, anytime. You never know all the variants. So it's insane. And again, that background that you have, Jason, that's, a, that's just the thing I pop in in my head. If I were a guy that was going to invest in Texas and needed to consult with someone in a grower that knows – Man, you've got it nailed. We appreciate catching up with you, Jason. Definitely Every give my academy. love to the family, man. I can tell
3: you. Thanks it so was much,
1: Jason. Really cool catching <laughs> up, man. And we will keep in touch. All good vibes. All right. Awesome. You guys have a good one. Perfect. Take care down there Thanks in Texas. so much, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Hey, thank you everyone for listening in. We definitely appreciate it. This is another episode of Cure to Consumption and talking about all things relative to the industry and having on some phenomenal people that always lead with education. Absolutely. That's what we're all about. So we want to thank you all again for joining. Have a wonderful day on behalf of myself and Miss Mia Jane.
0: Thanks Lance. See you guys next time. (laughs) Bye-bye.